I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we argue about which one of us gets to stand up for the honor of the episode of NXT that originally aired on September 18th, 2014. I mean, clearly it should be me. I am the champion of NXT fandom, but I guess Megan Bob is like popular and a good person <laughs> and people like them. So they think they get to stand in the ring and make frowny faces. But we'll just see about that. But you know what, though? I would let you do it. And then I would only be more over <laughs> until people eventually got sick of my niceness and I had to turn heel. Oh, I see. God, you're getting so good at this. <laughs> 70 episodes, baby. I fucking should be. Welcome to episode 70 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we got to talk about NXT TakeOver Fatal 4-Way with Elle Collins, so that was a good day. Thank you, Elle. A fucking gift. Thank you, Elle. Thank you so much. Go follow Elle on Twitter. Elle is the one of the best wrestle tweets that you can follow on the Twitters. At another L. Twitter is cursed, but L is amazing. Now it's time for the fallout, as the relationship between Adrian Neville and Sami Zayn gets even more strained, Hideo Itami makes his official debut, and Titus O'Neil is here. <laughs> he's, Indeed. He's, he's here. Uh, we'll get to all of that, and so much more, in Bob's Breakdown, after which it will be time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We will also grant one or more lucky competitors with the Bullrance Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. Here, another Megan Bob fanfic. Take our, I promise, penultimate dive into the history of women's wrestling and finish mm -hmm. up with a brand new edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. And it's going to be a clean slate once again, Bob. You earned your latest romance novel on our last episode. Um, yeah, we have to talk about that for we'll sure. We'll talk about that later. But since we had a guest last time, there are no new answers to go over at the moment. So I think we should just jump into the show with Bob's Breakdown. Our commentary team for this episode is Renee Young, Rich Brennan, and Alex Riley. And Renee Young is doing her best to make this a commentary team of any kind. Yeah, she's, if it weren't for her, then it would be a bad time. So we open with Titus O'Neil walking to the ring and getting on the mic. And there's a small, we want chant. <laughs> okay, what were they chanting? I believe they were chanting, we want Darren. And okay. uh, instead of just explaining that to you, Bob, would you be interested quickly in a trading card about Titus O'Neil? I would be delighted to have a trading card. All right. So just a little bit of info on this guy, since he's going to be with us for a few episodes, actually. Titus is a former college football player for the Florida Gators, who competed mm -hmm. on the second season of Game Show NXT and was brought back for NXT Redemption, which was sort of the weird like limbo period between <laughs> Game Show NXT and what we have now. He was moved to the main roster shortly before this version of NXT began. So this is his first appearance, I believe, 
in the modern incarnation of NXT. He is best known for being one half of a tag team called the Primetime Players with fellow NXT alumnus Darren Young, who incidentally was the, I believe, the first out gay man to wrestle in WWE. Oh, wow. At this moment in 2014, Titus had turned on Young and become a heel, although that didn't actually get him anywhere, possibly because he's not really that good at wrestling. Mm. Uh, Mm. And he wound up in another tag team with another former NXT guy named Heath Slater, and that tag team was called Slater Gator because Mm. of the Florida Gators thing. Immediately prior to this episode, Slater Gator had been on the losing end of several tag team matches against Adam Rose and the Bunny. So That sounds like a magical experience, and (laughs) I kind of need to see one, even though I bet it's terrible and nothing, but I still want to see somebody wrestle in a bunny suit. But yeah, so the chant was, we want Darren, which they chanted because he turned on Darren. So Titus O'Neil's on the mic. And it's going, okay. And then Titus loses his place a little, and it's a bit awkward. <laughs> and then he pretends to fall asleep because he's like, well, you know, I get to just come out here and do whatever I want if I want to just take a nap. <sighs> then he wakes up to tell a joke about calling the brand N-X-T-I-T-U-S. Correct. Okay, Miles, is yep. Titus O'Neil bad on the mic or is this like a fuck up? He, he's bad. Uh, okay. He's not. I mean, he's like not the worst I've ever heard, but yeah, he's pretty bad. <laughs> Titus O'Neil, just like if you need to know one thing about Titus O'Neil. So I said that he was best known for being in the tag team with Darren Young. And that's because with trading cards, I only cover that person's history until they arrive at NXT. Mm-hmm. What Titus O'Neil is actually best known for now is tripping and falling down on his way into the Royal <gasps> Rumble. So, oh, no. That, that should probably tell you something about Titus O'Neil's status in WWE. And oh, then no. Vince apparently thought it was so funny that they made it into <gasps> a running joke on Raw for like a month after that. Oh, all right, well... So thankfully, to save us from all this, Sammy's music hits, and he comes out to be cocky McFace man in his merch. Is this Sammy merch he's got? It might be because it's the shirt with like the little like peace sign kind of up on it. It's peace sign fingers with green, red, and black on a white background, which are the colors of the Syrian flag. May not be Sammy merch, may just be a shirt of his. I don't remember that being something that was sold, but it's possible. Okay. Well, Sammy tells Titus O'Neil that he's a goofus who can't win a match against a bunny. And then Neville's music hits. He comes out and he's like, look, if anyone is going to defend the honor of the Shire, it's going to be me. Because the belt is his, you see. Right. It's his. And he will be the one to keep it safe. (laughs) So (laughs) I was going to say keep it secret, keep it safe. But there's no keeping it secret in Russell. No, he wears it uh, like over his shoulder. Like he's right there. (laughs) That would be a very different version of Lord of the Rings. Yes. It's not, is it secret? Is it safe? It's, is it safe? And also, like, is it prestigious in the eyes of the fans? (laughs) (laughs) Is it over? Is it safe? (laughs) Sammy takes offense to this. Does he not have the right to speak up on behalf of this promotion? This brand also? There's a bit of a square off and then Tyson Kidd's music hits. He smarms down the ramp to rub the takeover result in Sammy's face. Wouldn't you do whatever you had to to retain the championship? No, not at all. He's not mad at Adrian at all. Sammy's just saying from a moral standpoint, (laughs) he wouldn't have done the same thing. 
And that is why you will never be NXT champion, Neville replies, which is certainly in keeping with Adrian Neville's character of guy who knows how wrestling works. Yes. But damn, like Neville starting to sound slightly more Boromir than I'd like to see. Mm. Now, full disclosure, do not fucking at me because I love Boromir and I think he was a good person who couldn't be everything that was asked of him, but he really fucking tried his damnedest to overcome those limitations of being a fallible person. And like, <laughs> respect for Boromir. He, he sacrificed it all to try and be the best version of himself that he could. When most uh, wrestling podcasts say don't at me about something, they're like usually talking about, you know, an opinion about a wrestler or a match or something like that. <laughs> But with show. our podcast, with this show, fucking Boromir. Boromir has fans <laughs> on this side of the podcast, all right? <laughs> no, I love Boromir. And then Regal's music hits. Hair lit perfectly like the tarnished halo of a fallen angel. Regal says, well, this is a fighting show, not a whining show. Oh, oh. So tonight is going to be a tag team match between Neville and Zane teaming against Titus and Kid. And this can only go well with all of this ructions. What could possibly go wrong? You know what? I think it's going to bring everybody closer together. So match number one, women's action, Miles. I screamed because Emma's music hits. Yeah. Our perfect bubble princess comes out to fight ghosts and karate bubbles. (laughs) She has big green Power Ranger energy in her outfit this time. Yeah. And Charlotte, who I don't think ever faced Emma. She did once in the tournament leading up to the first takeover to crown the new women's champion. Charlotte defeated Emma in that tournament. Oh, what? Oh, man, I don't remember anything. But it's so so weird because Charlotte is looking at Emma like, what the actual fuck is this bubble garbage? And I'm like, (laughs) well, but if you've seen it, why are you so surprised? But nonetheless. Well, she saw it, but that was back then. Like, pre-takeover Charlotte is like a different person than post-takeover Charlotte. Okay. This is a soft reboot. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back. The crowd chants, which is basically the greatest chant. The welcome hmm. back is the most loving, beautiful, kind, warm chant that exists in wrestling, I think. It's right up there with You Still Got It. Yes. These are the chants of love and dedication to a person, and I value them so much. So every time I get to hear one, I'm like, it doesn't even matter if I have a connection with what's going on. It matters that they do and that I'm getting to see it. This maybe is a little bit less of a thing these days in the current wrestling landscape. And you we weren't really around because if you had been watching independent wrestling, Ring of Honor, Impact, that kind of stuff, right around this period, 2014 or before, you would have experienced possibly the sweetest chant, <gasps> uh, the most bittersweet chant. Oh, yeah. Which I know is your flavor. Yes, it um, is. In those promotions, when the crowd knew that someone like Daniel Bryan or another independent star was signing with WWE. Uh-huh. And it was very obviously that person's last appearance or last uh-huh. match in the independent promotion. The crowd would invariably start chanting, please don't go. Please don't go. Aww. So that's, that's, that's for you. That's really beautiful. That's for you. What a wonder. Thank you. Charlotte does not appreciate this chanting situation goes over (laughs) motions for someone to hand her back her belt, which she holds up at Emma in a real know your place move. Emma does not know her place and whaps the belt out of Charlotte's hand and onto the mat. Gasp. 
Miles, I was honestly a little bit shocked because I'm not used to seeing the belt treated so casually. Thoughts? No, uh, no, I, I was a little bit surprised myself. Emma has always been that character. And it's one thing I always appreciated about her where it's like her gimmick, like the thing she does is the dancing and the silliness. Mm-hmm. But like in the ring, when it comes to being a competitor, she'll fucking kill you. <laughs> like I remember some of those matches with Paige and it was just like she's power bombing her and like that submission yes. finish is like really brutal looking and Emma has always had like a little bit of an edge to her under all the dancey shit and while I was kind of surprised to see it the belt is not typically treated that way especially not by baby faces I definitely thought it was consistent with her character in NXT I thought so too because I also think one of the fun things about Emma is that Emma's kind of like not playing the same game as everyone else, both because she's kind of weird and because she's both bubbly and a badass. And so Emma could do most things and you'd go, okay, that makes sense. She's unpredictable. That's kind of a fundamental part of her character, I think. Needless to say, Umbridge is taking it as a front and Charlotte gets Emma in the tum-tum. Charlotte follows up with the triple skull fuck somersault, which has been (laughs) banned at the Olympics since the early 70s. You know, since the incident. Unfortunately, Emma isn't even getting to look cool at the start. Charlotte is just kicking her ass and Emma gets in the odd whack. She does battle back enough to knock Charlotte down the obligatory three times. You cannot do it twice. I repeat, you cannot do it just twice. It's not allowed. No, there's comedy rules. You can do it once, you can do it three times, or you can do it five times. That's it. Odd numbers only. She also flies in with the Emma sandwich crossbody. And Emma gets on the outside and flicks her feet up at Charlotte's head in what I think can best be described as a real fuck you handstand. Yeah, it was a really cool spot, actually, because um, Emma was like standing on the apron, but her upper body was through the ropes in the ring. And Charlotte grabbed her and like grabbed her head and her hair and like threw it down to like plant her head on the ground. But because uh, Emma was bent over the second rope, throwing her head down like that made her feet come up and she she hit charlotte in the face with the back of her feet it was a really cool spot i liked it a lot i was super into it the thing about bubbles is though miles they don't last forever no they are perfect and beautiful and fleeting and charlotte ain't afraid to pop a bubble she bonks emma with the bow down to the queen and it's over with charlotte claiming the victory okay miles Mm -hmm. i liked seeing emma but what the fuck was this match because i did (laughs) It was weird because it felt like it never found its pace. Like it was always going, what are we doing? Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I think a lot of the individual moments in the match are cool, but the match as a whole didn't really flow well. Things seem a little bit off. Things seem just a little bit off. And I think the match is paced weirdly because they were trying to do a lot in a small amount of time also. Mm. Match number two, Lady Whistledown's match report. Mm, interesting. Devil May Care Man About Town Lord Gabriel is back from his latest deadly adventure. Was he jousting on polar bears? Shark fencing? (laughs) Dining with Lady Waltzingham? Who can say? (laughs) What one can say is that he cuts a very fine figure indeed. Although perhaps not quite as fine a figure as Hideo Itami, newly arrived from abroad and here to set the ton alight. 
Lord Gabriel is well favored by the ladies and everyone else in society, but even at his best, he'd be hard pressed to best a man with footwork such as Mr. Itami's. Why, he leapt nearly six feet into the air to counter Lord Gabriel with a kick to that very lovely face of his. Itami is not above a bit of foul play, though, grabbing the ponytail of Lord Gabriel. Not that Lord Gabriel is above some foul play of his own, locking Itami into a hold and vigorously rubbing his beard against the neck of Mr. Itami. Several young people at the assembly swooned with envy. <laughs> Freed from the hold, Mr. Itami delivers a veritable symphony of kicks from all conceivable angles, heights, tones, and pitches. It was overheard that Mr. Itami's style of combat is, quote, kick. Indeed. And indeed, that proves to be a winning one for him as he bested Lord Gabriel with a final double stomp from the top rope and pinned him to the mat for the three count. Now, why would I report on this little debut apart from the desirability of these young men? Gossip, my dears. Gossip. Because the match may be over, but another fight is just beginning. From the powder room, out stormed the two Transylvanian diplomats, Connor and Victor, both arriving to show their disapproval of Mr. Itami's presence. He is treated to the fall of man, much to the displeasure of the crowd. At the very least, one can be grateful that the relationship between Mr. Connor and Victor is still going strong, even after their many years together. At least if the fond shoulder massage of Connor is anything to go by. <laughs> it's the Ascension's debut in this segment, because they're actually in a storyline for once in their lives. I know, I'm so happy for them. <laughs> Me My too. My good, good vamp boys. Match number three. CJ Parker is here, and he's being yeah. fed directly into the mouth of a guy <laughs> you know you shouldn't give your number to, but you might anyway. Oh, the successor to Corey Graves has arrived. <laughs> Baron Corbett, Miles, he has yeah. a fucking wolf on the back of his little badass vest. <laughs> he does. A fucking white wolf. <laughs> oh, my God. The bell uh. goes... It's over almost immediately. Corbin wrecks Parker. But the important thing to note is that when Corbin does a big move, multiple ladies in the audience scream. So there was a moment yes. where everyone wanted into Baron Corbin's leather pants, huh, Miles? Yeah, there really was. And then like, and you can translate that to was into Baron Corbin as a wrestler as well. There was a moment. Baron Corbin has a nice couple of years here uh, coming up, and uh, okay. and then he goes to the main roster, and as always, the main roster fucking ruins everything. <laughs> yeah, so. I have seen Baron Corbin in some of what he's doing now, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I hope they pay you well. I am impressed that he's been willing and able to make the transition to comedy wrestler as extensively as he has. But also, you look back at him in NXT, and it's like, oh, he was supposed to be this ridiculously cool badass. Backstage, Enzo and Cass are fucking around in the gym, <laughs> and Carmella storms in. Why is she here? She lost her job. She's here to be a fighter. She beats Enzo pretty good, and it's fucking tremendous, <laughs> and then storms out. Carmella is a fucking gift. She is threatening them, like, if they don't train her to be a fighter, 
then I don't know, she'll probably kill them. Right. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we'll do it. And then Cass turns the camera to himself and promises not to post this video of Enzo being embarrassed by this wholly untrained stylist. Sure. And it's like, oh, this, yes, fuck these guys. But Carmella is the best. Match number four, main event. It's Tyson and Titus versus Neville and Zane. Oh, boy. So yep. there is a match going on, but the match is so not about what's happening in the ring. It's about what's happening between Zane and Neville. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be covering as much of who's winning because that's not really <laughs> that's kind of not what this is about. Sammy starts against Kid and then Neville tags himself in, roughs up Kid. He tags himself in within like, oh, I don't know, 30 seconds. Yeah, right away. <laughs> Then Zane tags himself in after like, I don't know, a minute and gets Kid down to do a standing backflip down onto Kid. And that is one of Neville's moves. He did a Neville. Mm -hmm. Better than Neville. The crowd chants. And I was like, no. Look, I love him too. I love him too. It is categorically not better than Neville. Definitively not better than Neville. You should love Sami Zayn. And you should be appreciative of him doing that because he doesn't do it very often. Probably because he knows it's not as good as Neville's. The crowd was on some fucking cocaine in this match. Zayn is very appreciative of this. Has the face of the happiest dog. (laughs) And then Neville tags himself in again and gets Tyson Kidd down to do a corkscrew shooting star press okay i can't fucking describe it other than to say it is like if you did a flip but you flipped in every direction at once yeah i think it's a corkscrew moonsault because he's going backward he does the shooting star later he does the standing shooting star later in the match but in this case he's responding to zane taking his standing moonsault by being like oh better than neville is he Ladies and gentlemen, would you care for a corkscrew moonsault where I go in all the different directions and then land in the same place? Oh, my God. It's so Neville good. is a fucking gift. So the audience starts like angry chanting something now that I couldn't quite hear after he does that <sighs> corkscrew awesomeness. There's a lot of chanting. Some of it you just can't make out. The crowd this entire match, there seems to be a vocal pro Tyson kid part <gasps> of the audience. I that's what I heard. Every time Tyson is in the ring, and sometimes when he's not in the ring, there's these guys trying to start up Tyson chants, and then there's like dueling, you know, let's go Tyson, Tyson sucks, or whatever, that kind of stuff. The crowd is really battling with each other throughout a good portion of the match. Basically the entire time that like uh, the heels are in control, this is it gets really fucking insufferable. The crowd almost ruins this match for me. <laughs> yeah. um, at one point, like they're just like, Tyson sucks or whatever, and they start, it's like, no, he doesn't. Yes, he does. And I'm like, really? Really? And then there's a lot of weird portions where, like, something must be happening on the crowd. Like, I'm guessing people are getting thrown out or, like, something is happening in the audience. Like, because the crowd is responding, laughing and jeering to things that aren't happening in the ring. And it's really fucking distracting. Oh. Oh, At least it was to me. I was definitely distracted by them, but I wasn't like paying enough attention to know why anything was happening. The upside of that is that when the actual story shit is happening between Zane and Neville, they're really on top of it. The better than Neville shit was fucking choice. Like, I love yeah. that they did that. But that's the, you know, you have your ups and downs of a rowdy crowd. <laughs> yeah. You know, you want your classroom to be high energy, but mm-hmm. uh, man, the moment 
it gets off track, you're like, okay, I can't steer this roller coaster unless it's on the track. Yes, exactly. Tyson Kidd is here being beaten up by Sami Zayn and Adrian <laughs> Neville being traded back and forth between them. Yeah. It is starting to feel like a fucking D.H. Lawrence novel. <laughs> so, yes, the two men are fighting over the woman. But it's not really about the woman. It's right. about the fact that they want to fight slash fuck one another, like preferably <laughs> naked in the firelight, which I'm 90% sure is a thing that happened in Women in Love, which I was supposed to read all of for a modern lit class, but I did not. <laughs> then we get a commercial for Seamus, put a pin in that, we will come back to it. Oh my God. Back to the match. Titus O'Neil is throwing Zane around like he's a fucking bag of garbage. And then Kid gets back in to take advantage of the fact that Zane is down now. He's like, okay, my big right. friend, you know, beat you up a little bit. Now I can do this. And then O'Neill gets back in and gets in an abdominal stretch. That's a move that is best captured as a mix between Kama Sutra and experimental chiropractic care. It's one of the better abdominal stretches I've seen, though. Zane is very much the face in peril and the heels are really rocking that tag team cohesion. Is this peril enough to bring Zane and Neville back together? Will this get them to realize that what they truly feel for one another isn't dislike, but something more primal? <laughs> Neville is reaching for Zane. Zane is getting pummeled and slammed like a freezer burned bag of green beans. Come on, little green bean. You can do this. You can get to your hobbit that you do secretly, maybe love, hopefully. <laughs> Oh my god, he's crawling. He's crawling. He tags Neville. Neville kicks the head, shoulders, knees, and toes off of Kid and does a <laughs> picture-perfect backflip onto him, the moonsault, because wrestling doesn't do everything right, but goddamn, do they know a fun name when they hear one. No, that's the shooting star press. <laughs> god damn it. Fucking, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I was going to come up with a better one, but I can't. I'm Clearly, I'm not as talented as the people who came up with Shining Wizard. I never will be. But pin attempt from Neville that's broken up by O'Neill, and then that's broken up by Zane. Both of them are shooed back to their places. Neville goes to the top. He's going to Red Arrow Tyson Chicken. And then, like the heel he is, Titus O'Neill shoves Neville off the fucking rope and right into the waiting knees of Tyson Kidd, who pins Neville for the win. Neville hasn't been pinned in ages. Mm. This is a fucking upset. And the show closes on Neville and Zane. Two incredibly hot men. Yes. Having a bit of an argument with each other, but the body language is very much like, I told you to not put the instruction manual that close to the sink. Of course it got wet. What do you think happens in and around the sink? Water. <laughs> Water is what happens. Well, maybe uh. if you didn't wash your hands like a feral Yeti, we could put things by the sink and they wouldn't get wet. <laughs> feral Yeti? I'm not the one who leaves drain rats, buddy. Have you seen the fucking vacuum canister when I get through with the bedroom? It looks like I shredded eight goddamn chinchillas. You said you <laughs> like my hair. I do like your hair. I just don't like it acting as an impromptu drain stopper. And scene. <laughs> oh my god. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode? It was a mess, but it was a fun mess. Okay, what do you mean by that? Stuff was happening, but like not a lot of it was anything. A lot of it was mm -hmm. just like setting up stuff. And so yeah. nothing needed to be good 
it just needed to be advancing story, which I have a fondness for, for the most part. I gotcha. Um, I was very, very into the Neville Zane tension. Like, I can see why. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. it. <laughs> well, okay. So, in the very early days of this podcast, I immediately went spelunking for fanfic. Yes. Um, as we have talked about before, fanfic wasn't on AO3 that much in 2014, 2013. Um, AO3 hadn't become the mothership that it is now. Right. And so a lot of fanfic was probably hosted elsewhere, probably lost to the ages or eaten up by like discussion boards or whatever. And it's gone. The, what there is from that period, there is some Neville Zane stuff. So I know I, and I knew even then something happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, but I know something does. And I want to get to the point where I can read those. There is a tiny like sliver. There's like two Zane Cesaro fix and that's it. And there is like, right. there is a sprinkle actually of um, Emma Page, which is also very important. Well, let's get a little bit deeper into some of the things you're bringing up, Bob. And I think we're going to do that in the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Someone in the audience holding up a sign. I'm sure you saw it. Why, Adrian Neville, you broke my heart. No, I did not see that. Oh, my God. It was such an important sign to me <laughs> because <laughs> I love that somebody here is fanficking in real time. Yeah. And it's going, no, but you were supposed to be this character for me and for, you know, my fandom and you've changed. The writers did things or you did things. And like, now I'm heartbroken. And it was so beautiful and perfect. And I could even tell a little bit because I think there was a moment when Adrian Neville looked at the sign and like he didn't react to it. But he, there was a tiny part of him that was kind of like, OK, it's working. Right. I'm something it's getting through. And I was like, oh, my God, but I don't want this to happen. But also, it's so good. Big win uh, for signs over chanting on this episode, I would say. This might be the episode that radicalized Addison Hush. Oh. It's like, oh, my God, these people are so annoying. You know what? I want to yeah, be like that guy with the sign. Signs are the best. Because you can't start a chant for everything, but you can damn sure have a sign. See, I can't even. I, they're they're so different. You can't. They're like apples and oranges, you know. They you really can't compare are. them. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Hashtag butt watch. Butt watch. Titus O'Neil does not wear very much ring gear. <laughs> no, that was the <laughs> tiniest pair of briefs and the yes. most low slung pair of briefs. I have. I was like, oh, buddy, yeah, we is... are going to see something if you are not careful. <laughs> it's very, very small panties that he's got on there. Uh, but on the butt of them, I had to pause a few times to figure out what exactly it was. And I had to do some Googling. But what I'm pretty sure it is, it's like, you remember in like the late 90s and early 2000s? Maybe you didn't have this experience, but you'd like go to the the drugstore to get like school supplies or whatever. You know, I'm, yes. you're in like high school. And uh, they always had those weird notebooks that were like, they had that those really stylized letters that said, no fear and that kind of shit. And yeah, like, I do. And a lot of the times you'd see like some picture of like, like a big dog, like a, a dog head on like a muscly human body with the shirt ripping. I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just a very late 90s, early 2000s thing. And that's basically what he has is like a it's like a dog's head on a muscly body in a tight shirt. And wow. I don't know what to make of it. He's also got like like hashtag crotch watch, too. He's kind of got some <gasps> stuff going on in the crotch oh region. He's got God. like a pair of katanas. The blades are like meeting at his dick, I guess. And like. The hills and there's are, some rhinestones on there. Yeah, there's some rhinestones. Like, I don't know, his whole thing. I don't know what to make of it at all. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. It is two very clashing styles meeting in this one pair of briefs that frankly doesn't have enough real estate to yeah, hold exactly. the quantity of <laughs> like imagery that it's putting forth. It's too busy because there's not enough fabric to work with. Yeah, which I'm like, you could just wear, you could wear long boys. Right. And we wouldn't have this problem. But like, I think Titus O'Neil is also part of the appeal of Titus O'Neil is like, he a big, strong chonk. Right. And so you're supposed to just see all of this rippling muscle that you're getting. But I'm like, I would still kind of rather you were wearing long boys, partly because your briefs scare me, sir. (laughs) Um, I am worried that you are going to flash me a scrote at any moment. <laughs> um, these briefs are trying to contain a narrative fuck ton of art. And yeah. It's not working very well. Like, I just don't know what to make of these character choices, Titus. I'm, it, it, it's all like, it's like when you mix too many colors together, they just become brown. I appreciate that it's two equally strong takes. Like nothing is in the middle. It is sure. two equally strong artistic moves, but together, I don't know what conclusion I meant to draw. Exactly. Well, Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? <laughs> Seamus, who I love very much. <laughs> Seamus, who, who clearly loves his job and is very happy that he gets to be a WWE wrestler. Seamus is on a white background, already a fucking mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Blending oh, no. in. He is wearing a kind of kilt with part of it over his shoulder. Now, let us remember, Seamus is Irish. Yes. Now, there is some, as far as I remember, very, very early. Like, there are kind of quasi-kilt things, I think, in some of Irish history. But that is not an Irish thing. Also, some face paint, as far as I know, also not a specifically Irish thing. So he's doing a bit of a Braveheart, and which is already very weird. He's there to big up their bullying campaign. There's a voiceover. The Celtic Crusader doesn't fight much crime, and he yells, shenanigans! And I was like, what the fuck? That is not a thing I have ever heard, ever. I have not even heard... Okay, Miles, for my master's program... I had to read stuff that was stage Irish Uh and it was like, you know, this is what other people think the Irish sound like and stuff like that. And it was, it was interesting. Some of it was written by actual Irish people, but it was like this kind of very presentational version of what Irishness is. Okay. Even in that shit from before the turn of the century to the 1900s, that was not a thing that would be done because they were like, no, that's just stupid though. But (laughs) Seamus sold it like, no, this is a thing. And I'm just, shenanigans. I fight loads of crime. And you're like, okay, well, 
but he's here to tell you how not to be bullied and how to stop bullying by texting <laughs> something, which I was also like, how are these children texting in 2014? Do all children have phones yet? I don't know. I had no but, idea it was a bullying thing until the very end. No, I had no, I was just like, well, this is just a thing Seamus is doing and it's great. But I fucking loved it. And my husband gave me such a like, what are they doing? <laughs> I was going, I, I wish I fucking knew, but there is a very weird take on the quasi Celtic region area that the WWE has kind of meshed together and gone. That's, that's about right. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Uh, so we mentioned earlier that the commentary team was absolutely salvaged, just pulled bodily yeah. from the wreckage by Renee Young. Yeah. She um, was the real Sam Gamgee, just like saving this whole thing from disaster. Yeah. One thing that I thought was particularly amazing by her in this episode, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter that much because CJ Parker doesn't really matter that much yeah. in the grand scheme of things, but she managed to recontextualize CJ Parker and why a babyface commentator would be booing him or would be believe that he's a heel and what she did was when he was coming out and they started doing their thing alex riley being like what you don't like the environment what renee said was i think protecting the environment is great i think he's full of shit i don't think that's recycled paper i don't think he actually believes what he fucking says he believes and i was just like fucking bravo like just well done like, that was a really good piece of work by her. And then, yeah. of course, Alex Riley fucking comes in and is like, he says something like, I bet you hate Tim Tebow, too, or something. Oh, God, he brings up that Tim, was Tim Tebow. so fucking weird. It's like, it's like this shining moment of commentary actually, like, maybe giving you a new way to think about this character. And then Alex Riley just shits all over it. Oh, Alex Riley. All right, Bob. What did your human heart feel? Don't fight. I don't want my beautiful, perfect boys to fight. I do want them to fight because it's hot, but I also want them not (laughs) to fight because I want them to love one another. But they're allowed to fight, but only if they kiss afterwards. But I don't (laughs) want them to fight, but they should fight. So my heart feels so much, Miles. It feels so much. Yeah, the Sammy Neville storyline basically was mine, too. Um I think in a different way, there are two things that Probably. I really no- <laughs> yeah there, <laughs> there are two things that I really noticed about it that I really loved. The first thing is that you know we've talked about how this is the beginning and really takeover the the end of the main event of Takeover Fatal Four Way was the beginning of this Sammy storyline that we're entering into. Mm-hmm. Back in episode one of this podcast, mm-hmm. we started with the debut of Sami Zayn, and yes. Sami Zayn had a match, but then after the match, there was a guy in the ring. He was a big guy with lots of muscles, and he had done some work on the main roster, and he was standing in the ring talking about how much better he was than NXT. Yes. And at the time, that was Antonio Cesaro, and Sami Zayn came out and confronted him and stood up for the honor of NXT. And now, it's happening again, and Sami Zayn does it again. There's a big guy in the middle of the ring from the main roster talking about how much better he is than NXT, and Sami Zayn comes out to do his Sami Zayn thing. Only this time, you've got the champion ready to be like, hey, man, you're not the champion. You don't represent this brand. And moreover, you never will because you're too nice. (sighs) And then for it to go into the tag team match with like 
just I love that kind of baby faces trying to one up each other thing. It's one of my favorite things in wrestling. You didn't mention this in your breakdown, Bob, but my favorite spot in the entire match was the one where Neville is in the ring with Kid. He like throws Kid out of the ring. But while he's doing that, Sammy does a blind tag and Sammy tags himself in. But he doesn't get into the ring. Neville runs against the ropes and gets ready to do a dive to the outside and hit Kid with it. But before he can, Sammy stops him, jumps in front of him on the apron, and does a springboard moonsault to the outside instead. Oh, yeah. And it's just an amazing moment, and I love this storyline so fucking much, and I just, I'm I'm so into all of this. I love it. I love how much referencing there is of earlier stories, and I know where it's going, so I know that I like it, and, like, it's just so good. Because you're right. Like the wrestling in this match, it was good. It was fine. You know, the, the episode as a whole, it was it was good. It was it was OK. But like the storytelling on display in a random tag match against Tyson Kidd and Titus O'Neil, yes. just incredible. Just incredible. I loved it so much. All right. Well, speaking of things we loved so much, Bob. Yeah. It is time to award the Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. So, Bob, who gets it for you on this episode? My Lawrence Olivier Award is going to Adrian Neville. Now, Sami Zayn is doing the clearer acting. Like, his choices are... I do not want to use the word obvious. They're not obvious. They're clearly communicated. Yes. Neville is sort of more still waters. And it's a slow boil. But it's so important because you can see... The little things that Neville is doing in the episode whenever the audience kind of isn't on his side and he's seeing himself recontextualized for the audience and he's not doing any big reactions and he's not doing anything super mean to Zane or anything, but you can tell that something is changing for him and it's evolving and we're not going to see it until it's ready. God, you're right. And like how controlled he is versus how out of control Sammy is. is such a huge part of this, especially because it plays into the finish because the way the finish goes down is that Tyson and Neville are legal and like Titus comes in to brawl with Neville a little bit, even though he's not supposed to be in there. Sammy jumps in to defend his friend. (laughs) He does. He's a good doggo. And in the process, distracts the ref. The ref, like, pushes Sammy to the outside. And while he's distracted, Titus pushes Neville off the top rope into the knees of Kid uh, lying on the mat below. It's just so perfect. It's, again, the, the choices from both of these guys are amazing. But I, I think you're right to single out Neville here because he's being more subtle about it. And Miles, who's getting yours? I mean, it's so be so easy to award either of these guys, Neville or I Sammy, know, right? in the storyline. I went with Carmella in this case. Oh, yeah. I um, almost went with Carmella, too. Both for her work and also just for the fact that it's not just like, hey, look, Carmella was a character in the hair thing. Now she's wrestling. We don't have an explanation. She's just here, which is what it would have been on the main roster. In NXT, you get a storyline that makes sense. They came to her salon and poured hair removal cream on an expensive dog, and she got fired for it. That makes sense. Now she's here to be a wrestler because she needs money, and she knows she can bully these guys into training her, which is just the greatest fucking storyline. I love her in it. She sells everything super well. Carmella, I'm giving you this award in your second ever appearance in NXT. Congratulations. We're going to get into some wrestling history in a few minutes, Bob, but before we can do that, 
We need to get your fanfic explaining the wrestling term of the week from two episodes ago, and that term was, appropriately, (laughs) Fatal 4-Way. Zoinks! Shaggy yelled, ducking the lariat (laughs) Daphne had coming for him. He hadn't meant to win the championship. He really, really hadn't. (laughs) Scooby had held it for the past 247 days, and it wasn't like he'd meant to pin Scoob. He just really wanted the last slice of pizza. It wasn't his fault it had been a last slice of pizza on a pole match. Like, (laughs) that gooey cheese, man. The pepperoni's still crispy from the stage lights. Who was he kidding? It had been worth it. He just wished it hadn't been a fatal four-way. He didn't want to have to fight all his friends, but like... They'd gotten the call to come investigate a shady wrestling promotion in Innsmouth, and Fred had accepted before Shaggy could tell them that he was allergic to mysterious fogs rolling in off the ocean and curt nods from strangers. Totally allergic, man. Like, why couldn't they ever take a case in the south of France or Bali? Sorry, guys, Fred yelled as he came off the top rope in a crossbody at Velma and Shaggy, currently locked in a figure four. Shaggy yiped and rolled out of the way, leaving Velma to be pancaked. He rolled off the apron and started trying to crawl under the ring skirt. From above, he could hear Velma say, My glasses! I can't see without my glasses! (laughs) So what if they didn't have to pin him to win? He'd take the loss and be glad it was over. And then they could go get some fish and chips. Maybe a lobster roll? Extra lobster. Maybe some crab legs, too? Ooh, or just some fried clams. That would be good. She's choking him! Daphne is choking him with his own cravat, the announcer called. He felt someone grab him by the loop of his bell-bottoms before he could make it under the ring skirt. Velma looked apologetic, but tossed him back in the ring. Scooby was supposed to be backstage trying to get the evidence so they could wrap up this match and get out of here. Come on, Scoob, don't let me down, Shaggy pleaded. Rut row, Raggy, rut row, the crowd chanted. (laughs) (laughs) Daphne had Fred in a Boston crab, and Fred was army crawling to the ropes and broke the hold as Shaggy cowered in the ring awaiting a move from Velma. Sorry, Shaggy. We really do want to send the crowd home happy, she called over her shoulder as she got to the top rope. Shaggy panicked and rushed over to Velma, furiously patting at her arm. Uncle, uncle, you got me, I tap! The ref (laughs) blinked in confusion, but signaled to ring the bell. (laughs) And the winner of the Innsmouth Championship belt is Velma Dinkley! Daphne let Fred out of the headlock she had him in and started clapping. You did it, Velma! Shaggy sighed in relief and looked for Scooby in the crowd. He could see him just behind some of the bleachers holding a gross-looking old book in his mouth. (laughs) The ref went to hold up Velma's hand in triumph when a rumble shook the room. A voice darker than the blackness between the stars and more vast than the reaches of time called out from the fathomless depths. I don't like screwy finishes. The arena went silent. Shaggy gulped and whispered, Like, what about lobster rolls? Do you like lobster rolls? There was a pause that felt like it could have spanned the rise and fall of empires before a watery, hmm, echoed around the arena. (laughs) We're we're buying, man, Shaggy squeaked. (laughs) Fine. Extra butter, though. Do you do delivery? I keep checking to see if DoorDash delivers to Rulia, but blah, blah, blah. Google Maps doesn't work that way. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> sure thing, man. Easy peasy. Great. I'll leave the light on. And with that, 
the oppressive something that hung in the air was gone. Absent <laughs> as though the all-consuming thing had never existed at all. How do we get to Earl Yeah? Daphne asked the now silent <laughs> arena. Fred frowned. I thought he said real yeah? Or maybe real yeah? Velma rolled her eyes. Of course it's not going to show up in searches like that. It's going to be localized to American English. So maybe Riley or Rilyeth? Like, it didn't sound like that when he said it, man. Shaggy shook his head. How are we going to get these lobster rolls delivered? Hey, do any of you folks know how to get to Rilyeth? How do we get there from Innsmouth? Fred asked the crowd. There was much head shaking and murmuring until one old farmer stood up. You can't get there from here. Fred nodded. Thank you, sir. <laughs> well, gang, it looks like we've got a mystery on our hands. Thank you so much for that fanfic, Bob. That was beautiful. I loved it. Thank you. I cannot claim credit for combining Scooby-Doo with Cthulhu. That is, I believe, all credit goes to James D'Amato of One Shot for doing a short campaign, I think, of two episodes where they role-played as the Scooby King playing Call of Cthulhu. And it was extraordinary that individual has some very good ideas from time to time he's a real brain all right well it's now time for wrestling history of the week and this is the history of women's wrestling part 11 so the second to last this one might be a little bit longer than usual and the reason for that is because <laughs> all right. shut up shut up <laughs> nobody wants to hear it bob just sit back and enjoy my writing i always do uh, this is actually adapted from a piece that I wrote about the 15th anniversary of Shimmer Women Athletes. I wrote that piece for a website at the time called Chops, Kicks, and Near Falls, which is now Near Falls Media. I don't know what their deal is, but all their old shit is down, so Aww. you can't find the original version of this anywhere. But I wrote it for free, so who cares? <laughs> you should <laughs> make like yourself, You should be posting your shit on our Patreon. All your shit well, that's maybe, not available anywhere. Maybe I will. For now, in this History of Women's Wrestling we're going to talk about Shimmer Women Athletes. On November 1st, 2005, World Wrestling Entertainment presented the second annual Taboo Tuesday, a pay-per-view event in which fans were given the opportunity to go online and vote on stipulations for every match on the card. Wow. Wedged firmly between a street fight involving Jonathan Coachman and a Triple H Ric Flair cage match, was the Fulfill Your Fantasy Battle Royal for the WWE Women's Championship. If you can even call it a battle royal. It involved a total of six women, including the champion, Trish Stratus, and it was the sort of battle royal that WWE, until recently, had reserved for the women specifically, where instead of having to go over the top rope to be eliminated, you just had to go through the ropes. Uh, it lasted about five and a half minutes, and as for the fan vote, uh, that was to determine what kind of outfits the wrestlers wore. Um, the lingerie option ultimately beat out cheerleader and leather and lace. Mm -hmm. Five days later, on November 6th, 2005, a very different kind of wrestling event took place at the Eagles Club in Berwyn, Illinois. The debut show from new all-women promotion Shimmer Women Athletes did not draw a terribly large crowd, and several of them were hecklers, but it was a momentous occasion nonetheless. At a time when Stratus was nearing retirement, and Vince McMahon's interest in women's wrestling as anything more than titillation was fading, Shimmer presented female wrestlers as legitimate athletes, masterful ring technicians, and badass fighters, and that first show was only the beginning. For 16 years, 
This promotion provided the bedrock for the wholesale revitalization of American women's wrestling, despite the fact that many fans had no idea it existed. WWE has taken credit for the quote-unquote women's revolution, but the women of Shimmer were the true revolutionaries. Now, Shimmer was hardly the first all-female wrestling promotion in the United States, but it was the first to present itself with the realistic wrestling aesthetic often associated with the American independence. Many fans were familiar with David McLean's take on women's wrestling, most significantly in the form of GLOW, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Perhaps a smaller cross-section had come across explicitly erotic takes on the genre, like women's extreme wrestling and the Naked Women's Wrestling League, uh, <laughs> which was hosted by Carmen Electra. Oh, wow. Chick Fight was a year older than Shimmer, but it always took the form of a one-night tournament, and Women's Superstars United, or WSU, which ran its first show six months after the November tapings that produced Shimmer Volumes 1 and 2, was an offshoot of Combat Zone Wrestling and thus built around a more hardcore style. Shimmer, on the other hand, looked a lot more like Ring of Honor, an independent promotion of the same era with a stripped-down throwback style and aesthetic that emphasized technical wrestling. In fact, Shimmer was founded by two people with extensive Ring of Honor experience. Ring of Honor play-by-play announcer Dave Prezak, and Allison Danger, who had come to prominence at ROH shows as the manager of Christopher Daniels' villainous stable, The Prophecy. And as it Mm. happened, the two of them also served as Shimmer's original announce team. Despite working for the same company, Prezak and Danger came into Shimmer from two very different directions. Though his name often flies under the radar, Prezak is one of the best commentators in wrestling history, known for infusing his work with an air of serious legitimacy and providing an endless and apparently effortless stream of knowledge about each and every performer on any given show. He's kind of the proto-Excalibur. Oh, wow. This was absolutely vital for Shimmer, especially in its early years, when the whole idea was to be a platform for women's wrestlers who had been laboring in obscurity across the country. The very first Shimmer match, for example, featured Ontario-based wrestlers Chantel Taylor, who would later be known as Taylor Wilde, and Tiana Ringer, who had kicked off their nascent careers by wrestling one another across the Canadian independence for the entirety of 2005. Prezak had done his homework. He knew everything there was to know about their rivalry and contextualized the pair for the Shimmer audience, which gave the match more meaning while simultaneously connecting its participants to the broader world of independent women's wrestling. Prezak didn't just want his audience to know about the wrestlers on the show. He wanted them to know where those wrestlers came from, to understand that women's wrestling already existed on the independent scene, even if it was hard to find. Shimmer rarely strayed from its original home at the Eagles Club, and it only ever ran a few shows per year. But its DVD series existed pretty much from the start, and it taped multiple DVD volumes at each live event to provide the illusion of traditional weekly wrestling storytelling. Oh. Essentially, Shimmer was an all-star promotion that felt more or less like a typical wrestling show, which is how it was able to serve as a nexus point for female wrestlers, initially across the continent and eventually across the globe. Alice in Danger represents a different side of Shimmer, one best encapsulated not by the first Shimmer match, but by the first Shimmer main event. The hippie heroine, Daisy Hayes, and her (laughs) manipulative rival, Lacey, along with Danger herself, were the only three women working regularly for Ring of Honor at the time, and wrestling wasn't even their primary function in the company. Despite the fact that they were going to war against one another in promotions like IWA Mid-South throughout 2004 and 2005, 
ROH mostly used them as managers, with the occasional match thrown in. With Shimmer, Danger constructed a platform to elevate not necessarily herself, Danger has never held a championship in the promotion she founded, but an entire corner of the wrestling industry that wasn't receiving its due. And Lacey and Hayes got to show what they could do as in-ring performers, leveraging their personal history and the exposure they had received via ROH into a main event grudge match, the first of several times that one or the other of them would wrestle at the top of a Shimmer card. Their match on Shimmer Volume 1 lasted more than 23 minutes, longer than any women's match that has ever taken place at WrestleMania. Wow. Shimmer Volume 1 also resembled Ring of Honor stylistically, in that there wasn't a gimmick match anywhere on the card. Every contest was a straightforward wrestling match. Even tag team wrestling was a rarity. Seven of the eight matches on Volume 1 were singles matches, and Volume 6, taped in May 2006, was the first volume to feature more than one tag match. This emphasis on no-nonsense singles wrestling, combined with low-budget production, gave Shimmer a gritty old-school feel, which helped legitimize it, weirdly enough, in the eyes of independent wrestling fans in the 2000s. While the promotion did eventually place more emphasis on tag team wrestling, it remained resolutely opposed to gimmick matches, far more so than even Ring of Honor. For example, in the 16-year history of Shimmer, there has only been one cage match ever, and there have been no ladder matches at all. Shimmer fundamentally and permanently altered the course of wrestling history. The competitors on that first show were all American or Canadian, charged with demonstrating that North America wasn't just a women's wrestling wasteland. As the promotion grew, it brought in British, Australian, and Japanese wrestlers, enhancing its product and introducing its audience to a whole new group of international stars. It became the gold standard for independent women's wrestling outside Japan, a concentrated hub for an entire generation of future performers. Future NXT stars that spent time in Shimmer include Paige, Emma, Bailey, Becky Lynch, Asuka, Ember Moon, Shayna Baszler, The Iconics, Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, Candice LeRae, Mia Yim, Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, Tony Storm, Kaylee Ray, Shotzi Blackheart, Mercedes Martinez, and most importantly, Sarah Del Rey the first Shimmer wow. champion, who was never an NXT star herself, but who, as a coach, elevated and transformed NXT's burgeoning women's division. And while NXT was bringing women's wrestling back to the mainstream, Shimmer continued to set an example on the independent scene, kicking off a boom in new all-woman promotions like Shine, Rise, Femme Fatales, and Queens of Combat, opening up an entire new universe of possibilities for women in the wrestling industry. Which is, of course, exactly what Shimmer was designed to do. From the very beginning, Allison Danger was clear about what she wanted to create. American Joshi, a place where women in North America could be afforded the same degree of respect they were in Japan, without being relegated to managerial status, without having to fulfill anyone's fantasies but their own. The fact that she succeeded so completely makes her closing statement at the end of Shimmer Volume 1 both inspirational and prophetic. November 6, 2005 will go down in history, Danger said. Tonight was the debut show for Shimmer Women Athletes. 18 women went in there. Heart, soul, body, mind, spirit, blood. We proved that women's wrestling is possible in the United States of America. You know what? People tear us down all the time. We're just a bunch of eye candy. We don't take this seriously. Every single one of us takes this seriously. We eat this business. We breathe this business. We live this business. This is our life. This is our soul. This is what keeps us going every day. And we've proven tonight that American Joshi is absolutely possible. As of this moment... The future of Shimmer is in doubt. Their last show, which took place on October 31st, 2021, the day my second son was born, Aww. seemed a little bit like goodbye. But it left its mark, and not just on NXT. 
on episode 75 in our next and last, I swear to God, <laughs> women's wrestling history segment, we are finally going to talk about the promotion that boasts the best women's wrestling in wrestling today. And that would be Impact. We will talk about that on episode 75. Two episodes from now, Bob will give us a fanfic that has something to do with the uh, wave of information I just sent at you uh, about Shimmer Women Athletes. But hope you all enjoyed that. Thank you. That's about it for my voice. So we're going to have to wrap <laughs> up this episode of, uh, of The Next Wrestling Fan. But we can't do that without completing the cheap pop quiz. All right, Bob. New slate. What are we, uh, you want to tell the people what we're reading for the next romance novel? So the book that we will be reading for the romance novel bonus episode is Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake, which is the first romance novel written by Sarah McLean. Sarah McLean is now kind of a powerhouse romance novelist and extremely important in kind of the romance novel sphere, both for her work and also for her sort of work on Twitter promoting romance and the politics of romance. Like she's not the only important voice out there, but this is her at the very beginning. And this, the first novel that any romance author writes, it's not necessarily going to be their best, but it's something like pure desire for this kind of thing to exist because it's like the one that they needed to write. And so this is the one that she needed to write. And it really fucking shows if you were like, I don't know, but I want it to be hot though. I have it on good authority from the people I know who've read this as well. This one's pretty fucking hot. Boners aplenty. I've started reading it. So uh, as soon as I finish it, we'll do a bonus episode about it. And that'll be available soon. But for now, we have to start a new cycle here. So no points currently for Bob. O for O on this cycle of quizzing. Question number one. On the next episode, Natalia is back. <gasps> Yay. What is she here to do? Is it A? Accompany Tyson Kidd to the ring for his match, with no mention from anyone about their previous storyline. B. Accompany Tyson to the ring for his match, and now show signs of joining him as a heel. C. Demand a rematch with Charlotte for the NXT Women's Championship. D. Ask William Regal to give Tyson another shot at the NXT Championship. (laughs) Or E. Wrestle Sasha Banks for no particular reason, but it rules. E. I just think that makes sense. They need it so badly. And I don't, I, the only other thing I could think is that she demands to wrestle Charlotte again, but like, I want to see Sasha wrestle Natalia. So. All right. Question number two, the next episode also features a rematch between bull Dempsey and Mojo Rawley. How does that go? (laughs) Is it a Mojo wins and evens the series after a hard fought battle B Bull wins again, but at least it takes longer this time. C. Bull wins in less than a minute, but then is randomly attacked by Baron Corbin. Mm. D. Bull wins in less than a minute, and then Mojo gets randomly attacked by Tyler Breeze. Or E. The match ends in a no contest when Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger randomly attack both Mojo and Bull, forcing them to briefly team up again to fight their opponents off, after which they give one another the classic, I may not like you, but I damn sure respect you look. (laughs) They're doing something with Baron Corbin. I think they need to put him in something now if they're going to make anything out of him. Feels like it has to be. He's got to go do stuff with Bull Dempsey. If they're going to okay. do something with Bull Dempsey as well, what the, otherwise, what the fuck are they doing? So Bull wins in less than a minute, but is randomly attacked by Baron Corbin. Yeah, which I don't want to see that for Mojo Rawley. I don't want to see that for anybody, but that makes right. sense. And question number three. 
In other, the next episode features a rematch news. The Ascension are cashing in their rematch clause and challenging the Lucha Dragons for the tag team titles. How does that match end? A. The Lucha Dragons retain, cleanly, and Hideo Itami attacks the Ascension after the match. B. The Ascension win by disqualification when Hideo Itami attacks them during the match. C. Hideo Itami attacks the Ascension during the match, but the ref is down, and his interference helps the Lucha Dragons retain. D. Hideo Itami comes out to distract the Ascension, which indirectly helps the Lucha Dragons win the match and retain. Or E. Sin Cara is injured during the match and can't continue, so Hideo Itami runs down to the ring to replace him, ultimately scoring the pin on Victor that helps the Lucha Dragons retain. Oh, E is too much fun. I need it to be E. Okay. So your answer is the Sin Cara injury and Hideo joining the match as Kalisto's tag team partner. Yes, please. All right. Well, come back on the next episode to see if Bob got any points in this initial uh, cycle of the Cheap Pop Quiz. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Miles. And if you do happen to hear any noises, there is work being done in my house. And that has consequences (laughs) for background noise, both in terms of just things being done to the house and also my fur children's opinions on it so well look if you hear any other noises it's because my child is screaming his head off because he's five months old so (laughs) this is true well look life is hard when you're five months old it is it's so hard you don't get to choose what temperature it is you don't get to decide like every single thing about your life terrible yeah i'm pretty sure he can be heard a little bit in the the episode prior to this And you know what oh, else we man. hear? What's that, Bob? Your cries for more of this amazing trios tournament action because mm. y'all have been killing it. All the moves, the turns, the surprises, the zigs and zags, it's been outstanding. You've all been very patient while you wait for the second round of the trios tournament, and we are going to kick that off right now. The second round consists of three matches. The winners of the three matches move on to the three-team final. Jesus. The competitors in this contest in this second round match are the team of the Culture Warriors, Sebastian Coulter and Matt Matrix, teaming up with Addison Hush to take on Artemis and the team of Overton Payne and the Brick Toss Kid. And I think the first thing that happens in this match, Bob, is that Artemis just, like, really takes center stage at the beginning. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just kind of throwing herself around the ring, very much demonstrating why she is the one to beat in this contest. Throwing out boots, throwing out super kicks, clotheslines, flying elbow things, everything you could possibly want. I love it whenever she does, like, the really snappy kick where you just are like, oh, my God, I think that actually did hit them and it looks very painful. Yeah, I agree. And then I think she's also got, like, a really good... uh, Do you know how in Lucha Underground, King Cuerno does that ridiculous suicide dive that he calls uh, Arrow from the Depths of Hell? Yes, I do. Yeah, I love that thing. And I think Artemis kind of, like, has her own version of that because (gasps) Artemis, you know, has a sort of archery theme going on. Well, and also, you know, has no fear because the goddess protects, so... Absolutely. <laughs> the suicide dive is considerably safer whenever you have a patron. <laughs> suicide dive, but not really. Yes, exactly. It's more of a homicide dive. <laughs> <laughs> then Matt Matrix gets tagged in, and yeah. Matt Matrix does something that we hadn't really seen before. Because Matt Matrix does Newton's Cradle, where it gets hit with a move and then does the move back. Right. Artemis does this beautiful, like, vicious Northern Lights suplex on Matt Matrix. Matt Matrix bridges out of it. And then does mm. a Northern Light suplex on Artemis. 
as though the Northern Lights suplex had not hit Matt Matrix at all. It was wow. extraordinary. Yeah, it, uh, we don't know why. We don't know how. There are things about physics we simply do not understand, Miles. Quarks. <laughs> it's true. Um, neutrinos. Now I'm just saying words associated with space, I think. I no, no, think. you're right about that. Because if you get smaller, when you get to the micro, like the micro level, right? Yes. Like all the rules break down. It's true. And, and Matt Matrix is, is at that level of math where you have to go, does one plus one equal two? You know, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's 87, right. and we simply don't know why. Matt Matrix does take control over the match at that point, but um, eventually Overton Payne and the Brick Toss Kid are going to get in on this. And, you know, Bob, in wrestling, you see a lot of the time when you've got sort of this mismatched team, especially when one of the teammates is bigger than the other one. You know, you see it a lot with, like, Enzo and Cass, right? Mm -hmm. Where Cass kind of, like, picks Enzo up and throws him at somebody. Yes. Overton Payne and Brick Toss Kid sometimes take that to ridiculous levels. <sighs> so, like... Overton Payne is literally, like, picking up the Brick Toss Kid and using them like they're a steel chair. The Brick Toss <laughs> like, Kid is, like, you. screaming the whole time, going like, yeah! <laughs> the Brick Toss Kid is like, moshing is not hardcore enough, frankly. <laughs> That's right. Eventually, all three of the heels wind up on the outside, and Overton Payne picks up the Brick Toss Kid, throws the Brick Toss Kid over the top rope toward the heels, right? Mm -hmm. But there's three of them, so they catch them. Yes, of course. So Overton Payne is just like shrugs, is like fuck it, and jumps over the top <laughs> rope themselves <laughs> and completes the move. We also do get to see Sebastian Culture. This is a move that requires props, and so you don't get to see it all the time. But every mm. now and then, he can pull it out fast enough. And so in one of the times whenever Overton Payne is throwing the Brick Toss Kid, Sebastian Culture is able to actually meet the Brick Toss Kid in air by doing the runway knee strike. And there is a like little red carpet that just kind of furls out. And Sebastian Culture runs along it and then does the knee strike in midair to the oh, Brick Toss it. Kid. And like, obviously, the ref has to get that out of the way. That's an opportunity for shenanigans as well. It's a whole right, thing. Right. At that point, the Brick Toss Kid starts playing face in peril a little bit here, Bob. Yes. <clears throat> and specifically, the... Uh, the Culture Warriors are tagging in and out, working the Brick Toss Kid over. Addison Hush kind of standing on the apron, yelling, or not yelling at the crowd, obviously, that would be terrible, <laughs> but angrily gesturing at the crowd. Yes, exactly. Who has been kind of on them all the, the entire match. And uh, eventually, uh, the Brick Toss Kid is just like, just keeps getting hit harder and harder, and, and you don't know if they're going to be able to go on. The Culture Warriors start setting up for their finishing move, or at least one of their finishing moves, which in this case... We're calling the golden ratio. Mm. They're like setting up to hit it. And the Brick Toss Kid is like, wait, wait, wait. Just just one second. One request. <laughs> and they're like, all right, what do you want? And they're like, just please, this golden ratio that you're about to hit on me. I just, can you just make it the most beautiful one <gasps> you could possibly do? Like, I just, I only want to go down to the most beautiful version of the move. Wow. Please. Just not by the numbers. I just want it to be like a really unique one. <gasps> And Sebastian Coulter is like, I respect that. Like, oh, of, course, of course, man, of course. And Matt Matrix is like, well, hold on. What's wrong with by the numbers? Oh. And Sebastian is like, well, no, it's just an expression, man. And Matt Matrix is like, no, no, no. But like, they want us to do the version of the move that's like different from the way we usually do it. We should do it in the most precise way that's most effective. And Coulter is like, no, we should do it in a way that's like, it has to be really nice. It's a very simple request. The most beautiful one we've ever done before. And Matt Matrix is like, you know what? There's beauty in doing it the exact same way every time, actually. <gasps> oh, my God. They're both right. 
And the argument that they have uh, between the two of them ends up allowing the Bricktoss Kid to tag out to Overton Payne. Beautiful, beautiful mind games by the Bricktoss Kid. Overton manages to grab Sebastian Culture and do what had been planned to be a regular buckle bomb. But the Bricktoss Kid is who the Bricktoss Kid is and manages to get the turnbuckle pad off before (laughs) Overton Payne sees that it's off. And so does a buckle bomb on the exposed turnbuckle and realizes after hitting it and is sort of apologetic about it, but is also looking over at the Brickdoss kid and shaking their head like, you damn genius. I never (laughs) see you coming, but you always get me. That is a painful move. Sebastian Culture is going to have to get checked out after this one. And so rolls out of the ring. And now Addison Hush needs to get in on this to try and face Overton Payne. Yeah, and Addison Hush and Overton Payne is kind of a big standoff. It's a big moment that the crowd has been waiting to see these two go one-on-one. They start getting out of their seats. They start getting a little bit loud. Addison Hush turns to them. None of that. <laughs> Obviously, they don't say that, but the, the finger says yeah. it all. Oh, yeah. No, um, you get, there's finger shaking that would yes. make you shrivel in your seat. But the crowd's really excited naturally, and also Artemis is, like, walking around outside the ring, <gasps> like in a slow circle, kind of like waving her arms at the crowd, getting them on their feet, trying to make them louder. They have that like divine charismatic aura oh, yeah. that like makes people excited and makes people want to like raise their voices in song and appreciation. Wow. And as they walk across the ring, the crowd is getting louder and louder and louder. And Addison Hush is in here trying to wrestle Overton Payne, but like the crowd's getting so loud and eventually they have to, they're getting too distracted. They have to like put their hands over their ears because they can't take it anymore. And that, Allows Overton Payne to lock in the impasse. Oh, man. Which is a devastating finishing maneuver. Addison Hush in the move, trying to get out of the move. The crowd is so loud, they don't really know where they are at that moment. And Overton Payne is standing over them going, If you scream about it, if you yell about it, and tell me how much you want me to release the hold, I'll release the hold. I don't (gasps) even care about winning this match. If you just tell me that you want me to stop, I will stop. (sighs) <sighs> and Addison Hush you can just see the, the, the conflicted emotions on their face the crowd starts they, going speak 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 yes yes exactly <laughs> and they look like they open their mouth they look like maybe they're about to and then they tap out <sighs> <laughs> they tap out rather than break their vow of silence because Addison Hush has principles god damn it I love this team of heels that all has very specific principles that they serve what a match, Bob. But in the end, Artemis, Overton Payne, and the Bricktoss Kid moving on to the finals. Thank you all so much for your patronage, all of you who have gifted us with these wonderful characters. We're really just having so much fun. Bob oh, and I have such yes. a good time coming up with all this stuff together. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for being patrons. If you want to join in on the action, if you want to get in on the fun, go over to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan. All you have to do is the $2 level to get your character into the mix. So 100%. Um, once again, patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan. Really appreciate you. Those of you who do that really appreciate those of you who don't do that oh, because yeah. you don't have the money right now or can't justify giving a monthly commitment. Like that's totally fine. Oh, yeah, we love that you're here legit. listening. Really appreciate you being part of this journey with us. And we'll see you again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Yeah! (laughs) 
The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. See, the reason I don't like Lord of the Rings as much as some other people is because Frodo had a big match and he, like, won by countout after his opponent <laughs> accidentally fell out of the ring. Frodo didn't actually do anything to win that match, but everyone was like, oh my god, you're the champion now. He got to the match at all. Like, yes, that's he what's made amazing. it to the ring, correct. And I guess in Lord <laughs> of the Rings, making it down to the ramp is the part that actually matters because it's a long fucking ramp. God, it is. That ramp goes on for so many pages, Miles. <laughs> Which you would not believe how many descriptions of trees there are on the way to that fucking thing. It's funny because it's so relatable. It is. Everybody has had these things where you're like, I love you more than anything and I would kill for you. But at the same time, why are you like this? And it's like, those two things exist in such equal measure where you have never been more in love with your partner. But also you are like, who raised you? (laughs) I'm more frequently on the receiving end of that conversation, but, uh, you know. I am both. I am 100% both.